Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here you go. Here you go. I want to talk about something that's going on in baseball right now that is worthy of its own show. And I appreciate that you're with me today. The concept is what's fair and equitable when teams have the ability to outspend other teams. We have spent plenty of time discussing salary caps, teams that have more money to spend, means they have more mistakes they can make. They can cover up their mistakes without a problem and still not satisfy their fan base because they're not winning World Series. They're not making the playoffs every single year. They have off years. Their window is being wasted. People in small revenue, small payroll teams, I don't call it small market or large market. There's high revenue and low revenue. There are high payroll and low payroll teams. It is clear to me that the industry this century has changed. Back in my day, this isn't that long ago. We're talking about the year 2000, Y2K. We were beginning to see analytics matter teams trying to get any sort of advantage they could in order to help them win incremental games. Hours of conversations with other GMs and other team presidents about things that we could do that would give us an advantage because contrary to what some of you may think, all that really mattered and all that really matters is winning in money. How do we win the most games spending the least amount of money? Signing Otani is not an efficient way to win. Signing Aaron Judge back is not the right way for the Yankees to get better. They say the same. It just costs more. What kind of business does that? Hey, we're going to have the same products. We're going to have the same everything. It's just going to cost us more. So our profits are going to decline. You'd be fired. You'd be out of business. It's asinine when I even think about it on on this show. Right now, I'm laughing, Coca. Find me another industry where you're looking to spend more money on the product and not be able to charge more for that same product. So baseball, like other sports, like every other business, spends its time figuring out ways to get better, as in make more money, 
get more wins. It's the same thing as an airline company, a rental car company, the corner grocery store. How do we stack our shelves, fill our shelves? There's a whole business that does this. I just bit my tongue saying business and it came out terribly, Coca. 4869. There's a whole business that figures out where things should be on the shelf in the grocery store, at what height, what depth, the impulse buys as you're checking out. Because you spend more money and it doesn't cost them more money. Brilliant. So what do baseball teams do? They spend their time and resources, intellectual capital. I always like that word. Give me your intellectual capital, meaning make me smarter, do something that we're not doing. Find a roadmap for a road that no one is traveling. And I want to get on that road and let's see if it works. What teams started to do in baseball as early as 2000, if not earlier, and now it has become even more pronounced, is that they recognize that just signing free agents doesn't win rings. They recognize that the smartest thing to do is to bring in a group of players and surround them with as many resources as possible so that they can maximize their ability on the field so you can maximize your wins. This goes back in the NBA when the Orlando Magic hired a free throw shooting coach for Shaq and people were aghast. And I remember well the response, which was, we're paying this guy blank million dollars. We're not going to spend 30 grand so we can deal with Hackashack. That's absurd. It's stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. So that has been a business principle longstanding, but it had not infiltrated baseball until recently. And when I say infiltrated baseball, what I mean is that we as an industry dismissed intellectual capital as a game changer, as a way to win more. We dismissed that because A, we thought we were smart as everyone else. B, we did not think that the large revenue teams were gaining an extra advantage on the low revenue teams with intellectual capital. We never thought that. We knew that they were taking advantage of us when it came to on-field and payroll and paying players, concepts that we've spoken about, paying players not to play, taking players from you in order to get better players who are making less money and taking their high-priced players. All of that was fine. But now the rumblings within the owner's circle in Major League Baseball is that we're about to go too far. And we see this on the field. And the way it works on the field is that when one team shifts, everyone says, eh, I'm not sure what they're doing. And then another team starts the shift, the defensive shift. Hey, this they may be on to something. This may work. And then a third and a fourth and a 20th and a 28th and a 30th team is on the shift. And all of a sudden, the shift is banned, which I don't agree with. The shift didn't need to be banned. 
the advantage of the shift went away when every team was doing it. The incremental advantage to get more wins because you're doing something better than your competitor. If everybody's doing the same thing, then there is no increased advantage. We can all agree with that. You may all be more efficient, so you're all doing better, but guess what? At the end of every year, what happens in all sports? We're all 500. I wonder if people focus on that. At the end of every year, the league is 500. So we can talk about crappy teams. We can talk about great teams. Hey, they won a hundo. Hey, they lost a hundo. It's always 500. You cannot improve on that fact. How those wins get distributed is where my interest is. So baseball, everyone was quiet. Everyone was good. And now the commissioner, Rob Manford, at an owner's meeting back in June, spoke a little bit about the possibility, the nugget, a little kernel, a little trial balloon, that we are going to cap off-field spending. Holy Christ. This is the biggest news to come out of baseball. You can talk about the rule changes all you want. You can talk about Otani's free agency. If Major League Baseball decides to cap off-field spending in technology or anywhere else, this will have the largest impact in lessening the gap between the haves and the have-nots. It's a larger impact than a salary cap in baseball. I want you to marinate with that for one second. A salary cap in baseball would not level the playing field in the same way that capping teams off-field spending would. Did you marinate? Because I'm still marinating. I'm still thinking about it. What a dream. Here's the scenario. There are teams out there. Huge. This is how it was 20 years ago. We would look and we'd get a report. Baseball would send us a report with the size of every team's staff. We'd see teams with big analytics departments, teams with big pro scouting departments, teams with a bunch of coaches in their clubhouse, but there was a limit. You can only dress five coaches during the course of a game in the dugout, but hey, we'll have an assistant hitting coach back in the cage. I don't want to spend money on assistant hitting coach. It's ridiculous. Uh-oh. Every team has an assistant hitting coach. We got to hire an assistant hitting coach. MLB says, fine, they can be in uniform. You got a pitching coach, a bullpen coach, a bullpen coordinator, a catching coach in the bullpen, an assistant pitching coach, a pitching guru, a chief pitching officer. These guys have 49 pro scouts. The Blue Jays went through a period where they had a million pro scouts, then they fired them all, I think. If a team left to its own devices 
thinks that they're gaining incremental leverage over you by bringing in people or helping the players in a certain way or helping them understand what their players are doing, what opposing players are doing, there is no end. I could go to my owner every year and justify a budget that was growing way more than three and a half to 5% a year on an expense side, way more. And I would say the reason we need this extra money is very clear. We have to keep up with the Joneses. That was my pitch. It's such a crappy pitch. It's like going into credit card debt because you don't want to look like the poorest person on your block. Or you don't want to drive a Honda Accord on the carpool line so you lease a car you can't afford. Hey, we got to make sure that we are looking good. I don't want my kid getting into a Kia when every other kid is getting into a Mercedes. There's a lot of that that happens in baseball. A lot of, hey, look what they're doing. Ugh, I don't want to do it. Don't make me do it, please. And then before you know it, you're doing it. And then you send to baseball your expenses, your financials for the year. And they look, they look at the category. There are plenty of times when we would try to hide what we were spending or what we weren't spending. We always had to explain that our revenue sharing dollars were being used to help the major league product. That's a rule in the CBA. But we would spend hours going over other teams, measuring their staff, looking at what they're paying their people. How can we expect to keep the scout in Mississippi for 10 grand when 20 teams are paying their Mississippi scout 35 grand? I guess we have to offer 35 grand. And that may sound like nothing to you. You may say, ah, it's 15 grand. What's the big deal? You do that 10 times, you're at 150 grand. Have you ever done a project, a construction project? You don't want overruns. So you say no to everything until one person says something. You say yes to it. All right, we'll add that. We'll change that. No problem. Before you know it, you're $10 million over budget. Have you done that when you're redoing your bathroom? Oh, no, we picked the tile. All right, let's change the tile. I need a Toto toilet. I want my bum to be warm. And all of a sudden, you're over budget. That's how it works when you're putting your baseball team together. One more guy, one more thing, one more expense. It's all for the purpose. I can hide it. It's all for the purpose of winning. Give me the money. That's what you say to the owner. What the commissioner does, and he's got a stack of people, very big business, actually. One of the main things they do, in addition to building revenue, which is what Noah Garden does, one of the main things they do is save owners from themselves, which is absurd. And it ended up in collusion once upon a time. But saving owners from themselves can take on different forms. One form is you're at an owner's meeting and they put up a slide of 35-year-old pitchers signed for four years or more will return a negative war and you will end up losing X cents on the dollar. So don't do that. 
That's subtle because you're dealing with a union. Despite recent lawsuits or protestations, there are no unions for your off-field personnel. So it has not yet happened that a slide would be shown saying, hey, you only need 10 pro scouts, not 20. You should have 20 people in analytics, not 50. Baseball's never done it. And they're starting now. It was a little trial balloon that was supposed to be a throwaway comment about what it would mean to cap teams off field spending. Let me assure you that that's where we're headed. Who's going to vote against it? Dodgers? Yankees? Red Sox? The Rays? What issue would have the Rays and the Dodgers on the same side? An issue that is based on intellect, not finance. The Rays don't want to be told ever that they can't do something that they believe is something that will be advantageous to them. On the other hand, they can't compete with the Dodgers who steal Andrew Friedman from the Rays, pay him 10 million bucks a year, and give him a budget that enables him to basically have carte blanche, to build whatever infrastructure he wants, all in the name of team improvement. So baseball getting involved has a chance to be epic. So the question is, where do I stand? I have always been in favor of the market. The market to me is what tells you what to do and when to do it. The market has a way of kicking you in the ass. It's the ultimate truth serum. You expand and open up another store. Same store sales are not what you thought. It's the same as podcasts. Hey, could nothing personal do another hour? Would everybody listen to a second hour? Or would half of you listen to the first hour and half of you listen to the second hour? If not, why not do a second hour and get all new people and then double the audience? Or you can quadruple the audience if you get all new people and then they listen to the both hours. I could double the audience downloads and not get one more audience member. Hey, it's the second hour. Are you with me or are you not? So many times, companies do not know the answer until they actually do the action. You can plan, you can model, you can project, you can assume, you can even pray. But at the end of the day, until you see in action your plan, you don't know whether your plan works. Plans only come together once there's been an activity. Hey, it's really coming together now, Hannibal. Yeah, because we killed the bad guy and saved the girl. That was a great plan. Hannibal Lecter always said this plant, Hannibal Lecter. That's not his name. That's funny. Hannibal Lecter is the other guy. I'm talking about Hannibal from the A-team. I don't know his name. But his plan came together only after the fact. 
So what baseball is going to try to do here is project what could happen if they cap team spending off-field. What will happen is teams will find a workaround. It's the equivalent of adding 10 pages to the IRS code. No problem. We're just going to make sure that we have an extra lawyer who reads the 10 pages and tells us how to get around. We will work around the tax issue. Let's work the problem, folks. Work the problem, Ed Harris said. Find me a solution. I am awfully excited about what will happen here because the reason I'm a no vote is that I want to be able to out-intellect my opponents. I don't want there to be any sort of indication that they are not doing something they could do and I'm not doing something I could do. Different from a salary cap where eliminating the payroll disparity and lowering the difference between the top and the bottom payroll on the field, great. But don't touch my front office. Give me an opportunity to be different. Give me an opportunity to invent the shift. That's a story that we're going to be watching. And you're not, it's not done. I have news for you. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. So this is supposed to be a bit of a mailbag episode, but it didn't really start off that way. It started off with me talking about something else. And now I'm going to keep going. So here I go. Mailbag episodes are when we ask you to get to us on Twitter, David P. Sampson, or we ask you to write a review on Apple. However you can contact me, DM, ask some questions. And then we'll do mailbag episodes while I'm away, you're getting a bunch of mailbag episodes, a bunch of sit-downs. We want to keep as much content coming your way as much as Coke and I can figure out how to do. Hey, David. Love the show. Thank you. It's become a must-listen daily on my rides to and from work. Thank you. As a Rays fan, I'm fascinated by all the stadium stuff and love your insight. Thank you. Been following the A's situation very closely. I think a lot of what happens now might set some precedents, the Rays, when it's their turn. I'm telling you a question's coming. I wanted to ask if you saw what Hal Steinbrenner said about the Yankees' facial hair policy. If I remember correctly, the Marlins briefly had one when Girardi was there. What are your thoughts on the policy? 
Is it time for the Yankees to get with the times and just let it go? I think they have bigger problems to worry about than beards. Well, I love, I don't think anyone's actually asked this of me before, Coca. Here's a little known fact. The Marlins under Jeffrey Loria had a facial hair policy every single year for 18 years, except we didn't. It was a facial hair policy where it was not necessarily enforced or if a player went to the owner and said, hey, I want a beard. All right. Hey, I need a mustache. All right. You better be good. We traded for a guy, Andrew Kasher, shave the beard. My God, he stinks. Let him grow the beard back. Giancarlo Stanton was awfully funny. He always had the, what's the thing where you have hair under your chin? Not under your chin, under your lip. He said, I keep that every single time. Oh, a soul patch. Thank you, Coco. I don't know if he still has one, but he loved having it with the Marlins because his view was you change the policy, you have the policy, you make exceptions to the policy, screw it. This is what I like. This is what I'm going to have. The Yankees still have the facial hair policy. It started under George Steinbrenner. It's the same reason why Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame because Bud Selig would not reinstate him when Bart Giamatti, who kicked him out of the game, died tragically and Selig did not want to do anything to upset the dead Giamatti. Rob Manford doesn't want to do anything to upset Selig, who's not dead. And so it just goes on. That's the Yankee facial hair policy. It started with George Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner's done. Now it's Hal Steinbrenner, and they have continued it. I have never understood a facial hair policy. It doesn't look more professional. It doesn't help your players play better, play worse. It does none of that. The Yankees, for whatever reason, felt that having them clean, it was the New York way. It's like wearing your uniform. You must wear your uniform. And there were managers who did not want to wear the uniform. They wanted to wear jackets. And our owner would get very upset. Not allowed. I want to see you in the full uniform. Joe Girardi, when he came to manage, was just an example of our affection toward anything Yankee, which is not surprising because if you read our owner's book called From the Front Row, stories about art, stories about baseball, it's a book worth reading, amazing stories that Jeffrey Loria has. And I understand that my credibility in this area may be diminished, but it really is fascinating to see what he did in the business world, in the art world before baseball and how he puts them together. But one of the truths of him is that he went with his father to a Yankee game as his first game. He was there for the Don Larson perfect game during the World Series. He was Yankees. And so when he bought a team, he wanted to have the Yankees as a part of his team. That's why we signed Graham Lloyd. It's why we traded for Adeki Arabu. It's why we did so many things we did. There's a Yankee connection. And I'm not critical of that fact at all, actually. It's the opposite. For an owner to have the Yankees as their standard 
That's a damn good standard. The difference is, in our market, we couldn't really be the Yankees. We could not sustain a payroll the way the Yankees did because we didn't have the revenue the, the way the Yankees did. And there's nothing to apologize about that. That's the facts of life, Lisa, Nancy, Joe. Those are the facts, Kim Fields. So instead, we go the other way. Can't sign the players except the bad ones. Let's go ahead and do the policy. I don't think the Yankees are going to get rid of it because Hal Steinbrenner will not do that. He will not do that to his father. It's a good question. There's some weird policies out there. Do you know we have a uh, side note, Coca, totally side note. We have, there's team rules. And during spring training, each player has to sign a copy of the team rules. And we used to only do it in English. And yet there are players who don't read English. And so then when they didn't follow the team rules, we'd say, hey, did you know this was a rule? No, I had no idea. Oh, that's right. So then we started doing it in English and in Spanish. And then players still wouldn't follow the rules. Hey, did you know that was a rule? No, didn't read it. But you signed it. You promised that you would follow the rules, that you'd be on time. You'd adhere to the curfew on the road. Give me a break. I don't have the first idea why that came into my mind. What teams had? Team rules? Oh, got it. Each team has this set of rules, some of which are strange. The facial hair policy is a team rule that we had. Not the strangest team rule I've come across. There are team rules about community appearances. Not that strange. There's team rules about what they're supposed to dress on the road. You have to wear pants. You can wear jeans, but no corduroys. You can wear dress pants, but no jeans. You have to wear a button-down shirt. You have to wear a collared shirt, but it can be a polo shirt. It's Florida. It's H-O triple T. We don't want to see any leg. And baseball teams go from a team bus to a private plane to a team bus right up to their room. It's absurd. Those dress rules started when teams were flying commercially, going through airports, and they wanted to project a certain image. It's sort of like society. We started with casual Fridays, and now we can't get people to come to work because in COVID they realized, hey, I can Zoom from home in my skivvies and be just fine. Well, we'd like you to come three days a week. Yeah, I know, but I, I really, that's not good for my mental health. I'm good two days a week, maybe one day a week. Maybe I go full stew gots. Team rules. We never got people, we were able to find. This is in the collective bargaining agreement, actually, Matt. You can find players for violating your team rules. Huge amounts of money. I think the maximum fine is $500. It's really impactful. What a joke. Hi, David. Love the show. Thank you. Do rain delays or extra innings represent opportunities for extra revenue for MLB teams? During rain delays, ad blocks continue to run on, on, run on team radio networks. Do advertisers have to pay for the extra ads during the delays? Have you noticed during delays, there's more questions here, but have you noticed during delays, if it's going to be a long delay, the network actually goes out of the programming? Because the answer is you don't have the advertisers. You don't want to give free advertising to companies. You can't. We used to, during rain delays in Montreal and in Florida, 
when we had our own radio network and we were not getting the money for radio that teams used to get. It used to be that radio was a real source of revenue for a team. Little known fact here, Normie. There were teams getting millions of dollars of rights fees from a terrestrial radio station to, sh to have games on their radio station. I walked into Montreal, into Miami, saying, hey, pay me my money. Let's go. They were like, ah, we'll give you the time on the station, but there's no way we're giving you more. I'm not going to give you an MG, a minimum guarantee. Go sell it. Good luck. And eventually teams said, you know what? This is bad. We got to do it ourselves. It's exactly what's happening in TV. Hey, we can't get the cable deal anymore with the regional sports network. No problem. We'll do it ourselves. Uh-oh. We're not making the money we thought we'd make. It was a small deal for radio. It's a really big deal for TV. When you lose a revenue stream that you had, that's a problem. So when we had our own network and a rain delay would come and in Miami from 2002 to 2011, there were rain delays every month. It just rained every day. So we would have rain delay programming and there would be executives who we would tell in advance, hey, you're on call today. Hey, you're going to the radio booth now. Hey, you're going to work with Dave Van Horn and Glenn Geffner. You're going to sit there and you're going to talk because we don't have any commercials to go to and we're hoping people are listening. So rain delay revenue is not a thing. Extra innings is all about the make good. Extra innings are not guaranteed. So the way you sell behind plate signage is by half inning. People buy the top of the first, bottom of the first, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In between innings, you charge the most you can for the bottom of the ninth at home. The problem with the bottom of the ninth at home is that you play 81 home games. Let's say you're a 500 team, 41 times. Let's say you're 500 home and on the road. That means you're 41 and 40 at home. That means 41 times there was no bottom of the ninth. Therefore, in theory, the bottom of the ninth should cost half as much as the middle of the fifth, which is guaranteed to always happen. My view was, is that it may not happen as often, but when it does, you're guaranteed the highlight exposure. And it was all about impressions. Who's seen the signage behind the plate? So what we did is we used extra innings as a carrot to improve and increase the price for the bottom of the ninth because I could not successfully get people to fully understand how exciting the bottom of the ninth was because they would go in their minds to say, hey, if I'm in the sixth inning, I'm guaranteed 160, I'm guaranteed the full 81 sixth home games. If I'm in the bottom of the ninth, I probably only get half of that. Sometimes worse, sometimes more. Extra innings is even less frequent than that. So you reserve it for the bottom of the ninth client or in the alternative, you do it as a make good for any other issue that any of your corporate sponsors are having. 
hey, we projected we'd sell X amount of beer when we did the beer deal with you. We're selling X minus Y. We're getting totally screwed. No problem. We'll give you some extra inning signage. And come extra innings, you're going to get value. We're not going to charge you for it. So there are moments when it costs nothing to be in extras. And there's moments when it costs extra to be in extras. It depends on the team. It depends on how much product you have left to sell. What is the demand? What is the supply? But you cannot sell something that you can't guarantee to deliver. You can't guarantee a minimum number of extra inning games. You can't guarantee a minimum number of bottom of the ninths. You can only guarantee a certain number of bottom of the sixths. So when you're going and selling these sponsorships, you are fitting companies into puzzles. You take all of your inventory, which is all of your signage, outfield wall signage, first and third base signage, behind the plate signage, permanent signage in the ballpark, digital signage called ribbon boards, and you make a big chart. And it's a, it's sort of like the immaculate grid, I suspect, although I still haven't played. You put one through nine down on the horizontal axis. On the vertical axis, you put every single place where you can sell something. Then you add it up and you say, this is what happens if we sell out. We expect to be at 80% capacity. We expect to be 5% deadbeats, meaning we're budgeting in that 5% of the companies will not pay their sponsorship bill when it's due. And then you come up with a number and that goes into your revenue number, which you use to calculate what your expenses can be, which really is another way of saying we're calculating what our payroll would be. Is that clear? Long question longer. During rain delays, I'm referring to ad blocks that run when radio announcers are killing time. And when, as the Royals Radio Network does, their announcers interview other broadcasters, team officials, or former players. Wait, I totally answered that within the confines of the question that was asked prior to that. You didn't have to make your long question longer. Todd, I hope I took care of that for you. All right. That is today's mailbag. I promise you that we will be back with more, maybe even tomorrow. It's just business. This is nothing personal.